We're back to talk about plant balancing in distributed access architecture, or DAA, picking up where we left off from our last episode. Hi, I'm Brady Volpe. This is episode 59 of Get Your Tech on our show on all things Doxis. I'm founder of the Volpe Firm and Nimble This. Welcome back with us today. We have John Downey, CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. John, good to see you again. <laughs> One, One week, week removed. Uh, <laughs> glad, glad to be, be back. back. Yeah, we, we need, need to finish, finish up where we left, left off. Um, you know, you know I, I think, think that was a, a record, record for me. me. Five, Five slides, slides in one hour. Well, we didn't have the agenda slider. We wouldn't have got that far. So, <laughs> you know, we'll do a quick recap. And just in case anyone missed the episode last week, they can go back over. But, you know, we talked about uh, balancing the plant in a, in a distributed access architecture network. Some differences there from your traditional analog network. When you migrate to a remote PHY, which is key element in a DAA network, you lose the analog video channels that you typically have. They, they do get, you do get analog out of the RFI device, but you're not passing analog from the head end to the RFI. You also lose some of the important analog test channels that you traditionally transport in the downstream and the upstream for test equipment. So, bring some new challenges. We talked about that last week. Uh, going to digital in DAA environment, eliminates that uh, that analog return path transmitter. So we talked about laser clipping and challenges that occur there. And also the immense amount of new traffic that we have that's occurred with COVID-19, with many people working at home. We've had a lot of laser clipping caused by, we talked about piggybacking, or not piggybacking rather, but the increased in requests, those requests in a contention window piling up on each other, causing even more laser clipping than we have. And we start to increase return bandwidths to 85, maybe even 200 megahertz. That's going to even add more load to that return path laser. We talked about uh, when we're moving to DAA, uh, going to upstream, your upstreams and your downstreams get much greater improved SNR or MER. Remember, those are really synonymous. So people get stuck on that. We're going to get better SNR and MER and both the upstream and downstream because now we're moving those RF signals from the head end closer to the subscriber's home. We're putting that right at the, basically right at the node where DAA starts, the digital part of it. And then finally, as coined by you, John, RF is sexy again. So <laughs> lots of lots of good things there. And we're going to pick back up on that uh, in the news, a nice, according to Night Light Reading, Charter had a great Q1, adding over a half a million subscribers without having to go into the subscriber's home. And that's really important during this whole COVID coronavirus issue. And I, I want to bring that up because uh, I want to ev- encourage everyone to read the summer issue of Broadband Library or take a look at broadbandlibrary.com, on the online issue. I have an article that's really focusing on how as an industry we can continue to add new subscribers online. They're really depending on our data networks. And the article we just put up on the screen is really focused on that. We can We can add subscribers online, and make sure we're doing just as quality installs 
as we have been uh, by augmenting that with PNM. So that, you know, there's a big portion of that that once that subscriber installs the modem, we can guarantee that modem's been installed correctly and never have to enter subscribers' homes. So be sure to take up uh, to take a look at that. Uh, John, we did have one follow-up question from last week that I want to make sure we got uh, covered, and I'm, I'm just going to point this directly on you, throw it on your lap. Are there any negatives to setting up an RPD with an 8 dBmV signal rather than the uh, 0 dBmV signal that we had talked about last week? So I'll let you take that away. Glad, Glad you threw me under the, the bus, bus or put, put me on That's my job, now. buddy. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually surprised, surprised there's only one follow-up question. question. You know, we, we threw a lot of information out there. And I, I thought, thought your recap, recap was really uh, well-structured. Uh, so it went really well. Um, obviously, setting the CMTS, in this case RPD, to 8 dBmV versus the default zero is the easiest way to jack your levels up in the plant and get the modem transfer levels back where you want them. The only pitfall I would say is instead of using padding, that can help. Sorry, am I getting cut off? Yeah, well, you're, you're, we're getting some echo from you, John. Can you make sure that you have your computer muted for in GoToMeeting? The microphone turned off and also muted on the speaker. We, we kill that, but we don't kill your voice. We still want to be able to hear you. All right. You can hear me now? I can hear you. Uh, we'll see. We'll get, I'm sure we'll get some feedback from the chat room um, whether or not you're getting that uh, echo coming back. Okay. So, so yeah, I only have one, one microphone, microphone on, so I'm not, not really sure. sure. So, so the pitfall, pitfall, I would say, or negative of setting plus 8 versus 0 default would be if you use padding to do it to make modem levels go higher, you get better carry noise, signal noise, modulation ratio, you drop the ingress before it even gets into the node. Now, in this case, your node is coming with digital fiber, which, very said, eliminates laser clipping, but dropping any type of extra power into the ADD uh, can help maybe eliminate or alleviate compression on the ADD conversion. Uh, before you hit the digital fiber. There's actually a couple other news items that I want to go over. So while you're doing that and looking at the Echo, I'll talk about a couple news items, and then we'll get into the slides. So another news item that I wanted to talk about um, was OpenVault. OpenVault's talking about um, they, they see almost a year's worth of broadband traffic in the last couple of weeks. So they went in pretty deep into this article, and they've an analyzed it. And we're seeing this across all operators. So any operator out there, any tech out there, has probably been, been spending uh, an immense amount of time on node splits, plan upgrades, and stuff like that. We personally, like the Volt firm, has been spending a lot of time working with cable operators, adding uh, additional downstreams. For, to deal with what's been going on. And so the Open Vault study, uh, we'll, we'll put this in the links uh, in the YouTube video notes afterwards, but they have a nice study. What they've shown is basically what we've been seeing in the network. Another one that is really kind of interesting is how the telecom operators are struggling because they're trying to augment their networks with 5Gs, and they're basically kind of not doing such a good job on that. So they're, they're struggling. And that's not bad news for us in the, in the cable world. So uh, as we've seen, a lot of operators, and, and we've seen this across, so we have many, many, many customers. All of our customers have been adding cable modems along the way. 
another thing that we've been doing, as I mentioned with PNM, we're working with our cable operators to make sure that we can help them support the growth. A big part of that is with if you have a PNM system, of course, we strongly recommend ours. One of the key aspects of that, if you can't enter that home because Many of these people have health issues. They're not going to want someone coming in. When you can't go in and do a measurement at that new install, especially in places where there's a lot of wiring issues and stuff like that, you can you can use that cable modem as a test device. And we've seen uh, we've seen commercials from Comcast. They have a, a video that's actually showing them do something that testing where they have the PNM built in. Commercial operators can do or operators can do the same thing with commercial PNM applications. And Nimble this does that specifically, where we have a mobile app that allows you to stand outside the house or even stand inside your office and do this, communicate with that new install and make sure we-, we run a battery test. Yeah, John, you're still there. I'm just giving you some time, man. Run a battery test across that modem to make sure downstream levels are right, upstream levels are right, plus we can test things like group delay and micro-reflections, things that we may not have been testing before with a handheld test meter. So, again, that's getting a little bit deeper into the article that I wrote for this coming out in uh, this summer. And if anyone wants to, to know more information about that, don't hesitate to contact me. So, uh, John, did you find anything that was causing that echo? Can't hear you now, John. <laughs> so, Hey. I can't. I can't hear anything from you guys. Okay. So, but you still yeah, have no lo- echo. There it is. There it is. All right. Good. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I still have the echo. I don't know if you do, but let's go back to the. Uh, you were talking about the eight dBmV versus zero dBmV into the RPD. Yeah. So we mentioned that, uh, and I think you already probably got it. Was using padding to make modems transmit different allows me to drop the noise hitting the node. So I agree that changing the CMTS or the configuration is easiest, and that very well may satisfy. One big concern I would have is because you're trying to control the level of different upstream channels all on, on the, the same, same connector, connector or what, what we, we call, call controller. controller. We, we don't, don't want to see, see more than, than four or five. five. Could, could be, be close, close to 10, 10 but I would, I would rather be less than, than 4 dB delta, delta between, between channels. So, if, if your goal is to run OFDMA, DOCSIS 3.1 upstream, at a different level than single-carrier qualm, try to keep the 6.4 channel width and then OFDMA within, say, 4 dB. Mm-hmm. So I have some cases where people want to run DOCSIS 3.1 at a higher level, knowing 3.1 modems have higher transmit power capability and also give me better performance. So I might say, all right, if, if I'm, I'm going, going to do plus eight, eight maybe, maybe I, I do plus eight, eight for my single carrier qualms, upstream zero, one, two, three, four, or zero, one, two, three. And, and, and upstream four is my OFDMA. And I say, uh, since the other ones are plus eight, I'm going to make this one plus 12. So that's a 4 dB delta. So you just gain 4 dB better MER for your OFDMA. Now, if the modems can handle it, great. Uh, and I have no problem with that. On the flip side, I could say, you know what, put an 8 dB pad in. Keep the, the single carrier qualms at zero, and set the OFDMA plus four. Right. You know, that, and it still achieves the same result, but you're also using the padding to drop the noise down. With that said, the best place to put the padding would be at the tap. If you okay. think about what we're trying to achieve, it's not just to get modem transmit levels higher, it's to drop the noise. So if we put the padding closest to where we think the noise comes in, that helps us tremendously through the whole plant. So what's the old rule of thumb? 
85% of the trash comes from the house. Right. At least 80%. Or so. Yeah. 10% comes from the drop to the, the, the ground the, the ground block up to the, the uh, tap. 5% mm-hmm. is from your hardline plant. So if I could eliminate the drop line noise, the house noise, I'd have to put that extra padding at the tap. Mm-hmm. So that would make me re design my flexible solution taps. I think we talked about flexible solution yeah. taps, like equalized taps, you know, configurable tap losses. Yeah. And, and the difference between, the, so the flexible solution tap, just to remind everyone, uh, we've talked a lot about putting attenuators in the return or maybe attenuators in forward to make sure that your return and forward levels are, are balanced so that you get the optimum receive level in a forward and the optimal transmit level in a return. So the, the forward receive levels you want are minus 10 to plus 10 dBMV. Those are your downstream levels. The return transmit levels would be uh, plus 40 to plus 50. And, and those are step attenuators we've used, recommended in, in the re, uh, in previously. What you talked about last week with this flexible flexible tap solution is something that wouldn't have a step attenuator, but because you could be planning a plan upgrade in the future to 85 megahertz or maybe 200 megahertz, you don't have that step attenuator stopping at, say, 42 megahertz. But now you would have something that is, a, is like a cable simulator, basically, where you're going to have that flattened response no matter what frequency you're going to. Correct? Yeah, it would be a cable simulator at your high-value taps, and at your low-value taps, it would be equalized. So you know when you do a HFC plant design, we used to design inline equalizers mid-span so that when we went to the coax, we weren't drop, 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 drop. And in mid-span, we'd throw an inline equalizer to get it back up again so we could hit the lower-value taps with a little bit better tilt. Same, same deal. So you would do a cable simulator on the 23 tap, the 20 tap, the 17 tap, and and then 14, 11, 8, 4, those taps would have equalization in them. So you would manipulate, um, and it would all be part of design. You could, you could put it in uh, low data or focus or whatever the design mapping designs are now or applications, uh, and then it would tell you exactly what to put in there. Uh, but my idea would be that we design it from, from the beginning with certain levels. And, and I think that's where we're going to let uh, pick up where we left off was what should we design for looking at DOCSIS 3.1, uh, where we're going with more upstream spectrum. Uh, 204 megahertz is the spec for DOCSIS 3.1. Uh, so there are CPE out there that have silicon that supports it, but that doesn't mean the diplex filter inside the modem supports it. And a mm-hmm. diplex filter could be hard set or, and or it could be software SNMP where you can configure it. So yep. you really need to know that, right? All right. Well, I think that's a good segment or transition to go right into your presentation where we left off last week on slide number five. No, actually, I think we finished with that one. Did you get, did we cover uh, that or we slide six? Yeah, I think we're, this is where we wanted to pick up was this one. Um, so I wanted to go back also on the padding idea and because I, I, I think this gets it to sink into people's head. I told a few people, I'm like, yeah, you want the modem to transmit hotter. And they're thinking, oh, the modem transmits hotter has better MER. Well, the modem's noise floor is not right. bad. It's, 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 the not, the, it's not the hotter. modem itself that's yeah. the problem is what yeah. you're saying, right? Exactly. It's, the, it's the noise in the plant that we're trying to combat by having the modem yeah. transmit at a higher level. So, so I, I, I had customers, customers like, well, well this, this modem, modem is getting, getting hit with plus 10 downstream. downstream. 
and, and the transmit is only 40. So let, so let me put, put a 10 dB pad on the modem. On the modem. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the so this is a good, good point is I think people struggle sometimes where do we put the padding. Exactly. I put, I put it, it on, on the modem, it transmits hotter, goes to the, the pad, it's right back, back down, down to where it started. And there's the absolutely no, yeah, no improvement in SNR, MER uh, when you put that pad on and they're scratching your head. It's like, John, you told me to put some padding on. It made no difference. My modem's transmitting at 45 dBMV. My noise yep. still is bad. My so SNR, MER is so bad. What you about is noise is funneling. So all, all that, that funnel noise goes, goes back to the head end. Everybody sees the name, same noise floor. So when we say make the modems transmit higher for better MER, it's not just for that modem. It's for all the modems. Right. Because all the noise comes from the lower value taps, just from the sheer nature of low value loss in lower frequencies. So no matter how far away it is, there's not much loss in coax at low frequencies. Yeah. And when it's farther away, it's off a low value tap. So right. that noise is coming in much simpler. So I would contend that if we did design properly that all modems were transmitting like close to 48 dBmV, the noise floor in the head end would drop six, seven, nine dB because you incorporated more loss on those higher value, those lower value taps. Mm-hmm. You understand? Yeah, and let me ask you this: does this does this really change fundamentally when you go from an analog plant to a, a distributed access architecture plant with an RPD? Not at all. We right. should have been doing this. We should have been doing this years ago. <laughs> right? I mean, because the noise just. Whether the noise funnels back to the CMT to the uh, return path receiver in the head end, or the noise funnels back to your RPD, doesn't matter. That noise is still funneling back, and we have to address it at you know basically uh, in the plant. Yeah, and, you, you know how it is. <laughs> yeah, we've been using duct tape for years, keeping the plants together. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're very notoriously inexpensive. I like to say cheap, but inexpensive. We don't want to put a lot of money in. We, it's it's uh, not. It's innovative, John. We are innovative. <laughs> so so yeah. We it, and I understand it comes down to dollar bills, but I would say now, if we are looking to two hundred four, it's a necessity. There's no way around this. I mean, there is a way around it. I mean, if I do have to have uh, an existing plant, I can't justify the cost of tap updates and upgrades. I would suggest as a minimum that we design in an inline equalizer, you know, the field equalizers that uh, does not have a cutoff. It doesn't have a group delay or, you know, a built-in diplex filter, but I utilize in my design an inline equalizer that can help those lower value taps. Yep. So that, that would be my, probably my cheapest solution. Cool. All right. So, <laughs> back, and this is why it takes so long to go through five slides. It, remember, you have a meeting to leave early today. I don't, so yeah. keep talking away. <laughs> People are asking for a two-hour session, so we're good with that. <laughs> All right. You're entertained. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I have my own like a, a spreadsheet I ran, and, and I have all the formulas in there for temperature effects on coax. I have a bunch of tables from ComScope original comscope cable you know mm-hmm. uh times fiber and i have all the tables loaded up and that excel spreadsheet that runs the numbers and i i manipulate the numbers and see what happens at 204 85 megahertz uh at assuming it's aerial black jacketed cable the rule of thumb is at least 20 degrees above ambient temperature so if it gets to 100 degrees i put in my formula 120 because i know it's going to be super hot and it's going to have more attenuation so I run all the numbers and I'm like, you know, 
it's great that the modem has long loop level control. The modem and the CMTS negotiate levels, right? There's no upstream AGC. There's no upstream automatic level control or upstream automatic gain control in the amplifiers. We might have amplifiers with some thermal EQs that can take advantage of a thermistor in there, uh, in the equalizer itself on the upstream. But that's in the housing of an amplifier that's, that has power supply noise and, and heat. Um, and then what if it isn't aerial? Sometimes something is better than nothing. So, yeah, thermal EQs, better than nothing. So hey, how do we I, do I just want to break that down real quick. This long loop level control and stuff. I think that's a long explanation for the CMTS telling the modem that when it's levels too hot, low, increase your transmit power. When the CM, when the cable modem's power is too high, decrease. The the CMTS tells the modem to decrease its power. Correct. And it's the default zero plus or minus one. Right. At the input of the CMTS. The, the input the, the CMTS likes to have its input power ideally at zero dBmV coming in from the cable modem. And if it's not getting that, the CMTS will talk back to the cable modem and say, I'm not getting my zero dBmV input. Please adjust your levels so I'm getting that nice, perfect zero dBmV input. Yeah. Plus, plus or minus, minus one. one. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Yeah. You and owe me a plus Coke. Plus one around your configured level, right? So yes. if I say plus eight, then it's plus or minus one from eight. Yeah, so, so the, the guy who programs the CMTS always has the luxury of saying, yeah, I don't want zero dBmV coming into my CMTS. I want plus eight coming into my CMTS. So that, that's always a lug, an option that a, a, an operator has. Correct. Hey, the, the quickest option. Like uh, we were talking earlier about contention requests causing laser clipping. What can you do about it? Well, there was a couple of res, uh, uh, options we said is increase your upstream capacity to get rid of contention requests because it would open up more time for contention by increasing your capacity. DOCSIS 3.1 upstream. That's one way. The other thing I think DOCSIS 3.1 could do is from the sheer nature of the technology and DOCSIS 3.1 being a bigger channel with all those subcarriers, even if that 3.1 upstream is highly utilized, I believe just how the scheduling works, there's more contention opportunities than what a single carrier qualm would have at the same utilization. Mm-hmm. Like 80% utilized, Contention shrinks down to nothing, so now you have more probability of collisions. Right. OFDMA, even if there's an 80% uh, uh, utilization, there's still a lot more opportunities because of it's, it's a bigger channel and how the technology works. So I think 3.1 might help mitigate some of that contention collisions and laser clipping. We said the other fix, obviously, for laser clipping is go to a digital laser. There's no laser clipping, but you know that's more expensive to change out your lasers. So, so why uh, is it, again, op- you think uh, DOCSIS 3.1 is going to reduce contention? I, I just feel it's not. It's because of all the subcarriers, and it's a bigger channel in general, uh, and how it schedules contention time, I have a theory that it might help mitigate. So is it just because it's it's more capacity you're thinking that, or there's actually there's actually more intelligence in the in the CMTS? Intelligence, I think it's more contention opportunities than how single carrier qualms were programmed. But for contention time and data time, and I guess you could but, say but that we'll have more traffic. Of, I mean, we'll have more people utilizing those contention windows. So eventually, you're going to fill them up. We oh, didn't yeah, have, of course, we of didn't course. have contention yeah, issues yeah. in Doxus yeah. 1.0 when there weren't many people on the upstream. Yeah, and we never talked truth. about and this. And, and the other theory is 
how do we know the applications aren't the problem? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All the applications, like over-the-top video, small yep. acknowledgments. They're probably doing contention requests. Yes. So uh, I, bondage. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about this in a couple of years, and, and there'll be new applications out there that I, I think I'll, we'll be saying, well, well, this is what we thought, but now they're taking up the entire OFDMA spectrum. They're taking up all the contention windows, and we just don't know what those applications are. We don't know how many users will be using that upstream. Agreed. Agreed. Or, or did we even, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not one to read through the docs of spec, uh, uh, you know, word for word and just ad nauseum. Um, but maybe, and some, I bet you someone's listening that would actually correct us on this, correct me on this. It would have been nice if the back off algorithm, because we do a back off also, we have a collision, we back off. Yep. Uh, and it's randomized. So you have a yes. bunch of modems come in, they collide with each other, and each one of those, with the CMTS knows when those modems collide with each other. And so then the modems go back, and they're, it's basically a randomizer in the modems that they each now go back and say, oh gosh, my, my, my message didn't go into the CMTS. So now they randomly come back in at different time intervals. So I, ideally, they don't collide again. But with the shrinking amount of contention time, the probability <laughs> of collision is going to happen again. It's going way so up. Let me ask you yes. this. Let me ask you this. How many times can that happen before the cable modem says, you know what? Why do I keep trying to send this request? <laughs> and the data that it's requesting for, the data is UDP, and that time is up. Yes. Like, it would be like me saying, I need 100 mini slots to send this data. Oh, I better back off because I never got a response. On a downstream map, never came to me. So let's send that request again. Well, guess what? The data coming into your modem is buffering in, and it's backing up because it's still waiting for this one request to go through, back off, go through, back off, hmm. go through. How many times is that possible? So you know, I actually, sixteen. The modem like, doesn't get tired of it. It's actually the subscriber. <laughs> That gets tired. <laughs> you know, it's like you're there, you're playing a game, you keep getting killed and killed and killed because of the lag, and you're like, okay, I'm done gaming for tonight. It, this is a horrible experience, and that's, that's who gets tired, is <laughs> the, the poor person who's trying to do something over the internet. So, John, we got to move this long, buddy. I or... know, I know, I know. We'll never finish. <laughs> I'll never finish. So my last option for the laser clipping issue was change the level on the CMTS to like minus three. If Ooh. you turn down the levels, then you have less power into the analog laser. Maybe it gives you some more headroom for the lazy, the laser clipping. You know, um, that's really, uh, that's really a, a key idea. I had never considered at the expense of MER. You, you, you that is, that. that is a downside. You need to have a really clean plant. However, um, if you go to an RPD, you're going to get that clean plant. If you get a DAA, you're going to get that clean plant where you could reduce those levels. The challenge well, we is... we don't have laser clipping if, in DAA. Yeah, right? I know. The problem is that is not going to help the people who don't have DAA, but it could buy you a little bit of headroom um, in an analog plant. I, I like that concept. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm all about options, you know? Yeah. I'll tell you the pros and cons. Here's the options. You decide. Yep, absolutely. All right, so... Back to slides. When I ran these numbers for power level and knowing there's no upstream AGC, no upstream ALC, I'm like, how would I design my cable plant so that the modems are close to 48 dBmB, plus or minus 3 dB window? Because I know in DOCSIS 3.0, they can go to 51 dBmB. 
for four upstream bonding. I also know that if it has the Cable Labs ECN, Engineering Change Notice, Engineering Change Request, ECR, uh, for extended power, it gained 3 dB. So technically, four channel upstream bonding can do 54, 54, 54, 54. But if I go to eight channel upstream bonding, it drops 3 dB. So I'm back to 51, 51, 51, 51, 51, 51. That just means that from the house to the CMTS, there better not be more than 51 dB of total loss, right? From point A to point B, I can overcome 51, assuming the CMTS is set for zero. Where 51 so, is the maximum transmit for the cable modem with... For each channel. For, what, what is the max? Is it still max with eight downstream, eight upstream channels? 51? Technically, the spec stopped at four. And it was really, yeah, I yeah. That's what do we have when you have eight? eight? But I've seen modems that were DOCSIS compliant for 51, no extended power. 51, 51, 51, 51. I went to five channel bonding, which indicates eight. There's no add one more channel of power. Yeah. It just says double, double, double. So once I went to five, it indicates eight. So it dropped to 48 dBmV. So I just lost 3 dB yeah. max power, transmit power on my modems because I went to five channels. Right. So I've seen that as well. And, and that is something important for operators to know when they make that mi migration to eight downstream channels go to 85 megahertz and then they can do that is or even five right yeah or <laughs> yeah I, I, I had i had a couple four plus do, x four upstreams yeah, plus they x did, they could they did two 3.2s to satisfy one x modems and two atdma 6.4s and said oh we have enough spectrum for one more i'm like you really should get rid of one of those 3.2s and make it 6.4 and still stick to four channels total you understand Correct. Like you went to five channels with a couple that were smaller than they could have been, and now it's actually creating different issues, power level issues, uh, more upstreams mean more maps on the downstream, so all your primary downstreams have more overhead. It, there's there's a, there's a lot of stuff that comes into that play. I, I would say I want less upstreams, but I want the upstreams to be bigger, yeah. as big as possible. So a question from the chat room. Um, if, if you have a clean plant... Do you have a large incidence of, of clipping? So, you know, if you get rid of all the noise, should your laser clipping be less? Obviously, yes. Uh, oh, but it, or I would say it depends. I'm going to use Ron, <laughs> Ron Rannick's Ron Rannick. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to Ron. His ears are burning. I, 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 uh, I have a joke. I said, uh, I told him, I said, is it ironic that your name is Ron Rannick? Ironic. <laughs> you know, we should do like the iPhone. Ironic. <laughs> we need to trademark it. Yeah. So, yeah, because so, I think so, you know, when you have all that noise in a return, it it it's like power addition. It's just going to cumulatively add up, and that's going to cause laser clipping. So, to Paul's point, if you have a very clean plant, you're going to have less overall noise hitting that laser, and in theory, you should not have laser clipping. That's assuming that you've balanced your return correctly. So we talked about that last week, having the right amount of power coming into that laser. Every laser spec sheet has what they call an NPR curve, a noise power ratio curve that tells you the perfect place that you should have the right input power to that laser so it operates in a linear fashion depending on the power going into that laser. If you balance that laser at one end, either the low end or the very high end of that curve, your laser won't operate in a, in a linear fashion. So if you've ever seen like Zener diode curves or anything like that, you know that 
you don't want to be at the extreme end of the curve. You want to be right in the middle. So when your power goes up, it ap- operates linearly. When your power goes down, you're still operating in a, in a linear fashion. And I'm not turning off. Not, not turning off, <laughs> not clipping. Yes. Not clipping. And, and that's, that's the basic thing. So if you have a return path, an analog return path transmitter, make sure you read the spec sheets, find out what levels should be going in, make sure they're set up properly, you have a clean plant, you don't have that extra energy, and you're going to minimize your clipping. That's why plant balancing is so important. I mean, think about it. Let's suppose you start out with one upstream channel and you balanced it on one channel. Then you went to two. So now you gain three dB in total power. Then you went to four. So you gain three dB more in total power. Then you're thinking about going to OFDMA. Uh, and with all the utilization, we were basically banking on the upstream being bursty. Yep. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Now it's up, 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 up. Well, now, yeah, now it's just always up. And as you keep on adding those additional channels, you may have to go back out and rebalance that so you come further back down on that that linear curve that I was telling you about. So it's important to go. So back to the slides, John. we got to keep it going. It's 235. So even if it's it's clean, the whole purpose we were talking about the contention request is if I have 10 of those guys overlap each other in the same phase, frequency, and amplitude, 10 times the log of 10 is 10 dB. Yep. That's 10 dB more power. So clean plant, perfect MER, laser clipping. So it could still have laser clipping. Yep. Not even considering going to 85 or 204 megahertz. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so I came up with this design, and I said, you know, assuming I'm uh, allocating 10 dB of loss for a drop cable and house loss, so I want to balance or have a cable modem transmit at 38 dBmV at the tap. Because the add 10 dB would be 48 dB dBmv from the modem itself. So I want to design for 38 dBmv at the tap spigot, plus or minus 3 dB. But because of temperature concerns, I want to build myself some reserve. So I said, let's make it tighter, but lower. So when I get past 25 dB of coax at 204 megahertz, from the RPD all the way down, I'm going to design for 36 plus or minus 2. I think... I believe this is the direction we should design our plant. So if I'm going to do flexible solution taps with the EQs and all that stuff, what I do in my design to pick that value should be based on this criteria. When I say 25 dB at 204 megahertz, that's from the RPD all the way through the amplifiers too. I'm not talking from active to the cable modem. I'm talking from the RPD. Because remember, the modem has to overcome all the fluctuating temperature loss through everything, all the way back to the RPD. The cable modem and RPD are the long loop level control. Those are the two points. Right. But everything in between, there's no AGC. The coax is going to change. Heck, for all we know, some of the gain in the upstream amplification could change slightly with temperature. You know, you, you really don't know the minuscule amounts of attenuation that are going to occur at different frequencies from the cable modem all the way back to the RPD. Okay, so that thirty-five, that's thirty-five dBmV. You're saying so you said thirty. So I said thirty-eight 30. plus or minus three, mm-hmm. and then thirty-six plus or minus two. Okay. So I made it a tighter window for my design, but I built two dB of extra headroom there. I said thirty-six. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No. Yeah, and and so so for anyone who's just listening to the podcast, John, can you kind of explain the drawing that you have? Yeah, so I'm just showing the RPD with a cascade of uh, one, two, three, four amplifiers. And by the way, that's the reason why we're looking at 204 is because people can't afford to do node plus zero and do FDX. 
That's you know? right. We have Node Plus 4. It's probably still going to be Node Plus 4. And it's still cheaper or less expensive uh, for me to update all those actives than to put in more nodes and then redo my power distribution and everything else that goes along with Node Plus Zero. So Node Plus 4, I'm still sharing. You know, uh, it's a lot less expensive than doing all those nodes. Uh, and I'm showing the taps right off of the actives. And I'm designing for 38 dBmV for the modem. So if I had a handheld device with a modem built into it, I plug into the tap spigot and it should show me 38 dBmV. Yeah. You know, so on, on a chat room, we have the, uh, a comment from, it says we have at 35 dBmV from the tap. So right. it's not far from what you're recommending. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It's only a dB. Yeah. Well, I, w- I would even say, uh, remember we talked about the, the previous slide, unity gain is unity gain. Yes. If you do 35, 35, 35, 35, it's almost the same thing anyway. Right. And you can manipulate the CMTS, make the modems transmit level, and it's really 38, 38, 38, 38. Yep. You know? it's, just, it's making sure that you have that consistency throughout the plant. Correct. Correct. Very good. All right. What's up on the next on the slide? Are we done with this slide? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, Alignment so, issues. Yeah, so we already talked about this in the previous part one of this this session as well, where all the analog signals are going away, test equipment uh, that we use for sweeping, balancing, the telemetry is going away. It was probably an FSK analog signal, right? I think telemetry was FSK or BPSK? I, I think it's FSK. I want to say yeah. phase, phased shift keying is FSK. Fre- I'm sorry, frequency shift K. Yeah, P- <laughs> PSK is phase shift king. Frequency phonics. <laughs> That's an initialism, by the way, just to clarify. <laughs> Thank you. Or uh, 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 an abbreviation. Yes, initialism or an abbreviation. <laughs> so I think it was FSK. So telemetry is the, the signal that talks and communicates to the handheld unit from the head end. Uh, that signal goes away because the analog signals, the plant has gone away. It's digital. So how do I do that? Well, your existing legacy sweep equipment would have to support and be updated or upgraded with NDF, NDR. Mm-hmm. So I need to have updated equipment. So when this first started coming out, reverse sweep was a big concern. And uh, the guys in Latin America were asking me, it's like, hey, John, what can we do about this? I'm like, well, legacy equipment needs NDF, NDR. Well, that was that was, what's the word for it? Nace, nation? Nace? I can never say it. It was in the budding phases. Nascent. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the budding phases I was sounds come, good. I come out with a bombastic word every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was very young, right? Yes. And uh, so NDF, NDR, narrowband digital forward, narrowband digital reverse was right. not there. So, and my slide just dropped off. Where'd my slide go? <laughs> there it goes. All right. So the other option was place a portable sweep transmitter receiver at the node. Well, I remember when I had an SDA meter, I had a handheld meter that had a portable transmitter receiver in it. And I could take it out in the field and use it as a head end device out in the field. Mm-hmm. So I could just place it at the node as if it were my head end and I'm working my way down the line. Right. Now, granted, you can only do one node at a time, <laughs> unlike in the head end where you could have 10 nodes and, and, a, and a crew of sweep guys, you know, sweeping, balancing multiple service groups and nodes. But this was a way for me to do it, you know, locally. Yeah, it's, so it's a lot more work. <laughs> You're moving around exactly, a lot more. Exactly. The other one, third option was, uh, which is where we're at now, is the RPD FFT upstream triggered spectrum mm-hmm. capture. Yes. Uh, which I'm sure you are aware of and working 
with yep. for PNM, upstream spectrum gathering, and then some vendors, test equipment vendors, have handheld units that can synchronize or get that information as well. Correct. Um, so they could utilize that as like an upstream sweep by looking at real signals, looking at maybe generated signals themselves, um, and then doing spectrum capture, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're they're triggering on say sweep pulses though, right? No, um, they're yeah they're they're not. So, and 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 so another thing is uh, the PNM working group at Cable Labs. Uh, it was mostly written by uh, Ron Rannick was a big part behind this, but <laughs> we're looking at a lot of other techniques to passively do uh, return pass sweep. Uh, looking at just the the pre equalization data from cable modems gives you a lot of insight into that. So and and all the the test event test equipment vendors are also doing that same exact thing. So we can do a lot of sweep without even invasively doing anything with NDR, NDF as well. So a lot of data we can get from that. You know, it's uh, interesting you bring up the PNM and the pre-equalization because I believe it's different in DOCSIS 3.1 upstream. The pre-EQ is not quite the same as single-carrier QAM. It's, like, it is different, QAM. but it's a, we get about 40 times the amount of data points from it. So you can see the, the resolution is 40 times more accurate or 40 times more intensive. Very good. Because it's subcarriers, now you have Correct. control of levels on each one of these little subcarriers. Yeah, so you, your so subcarrier spacing could be, like right now when we look at a QAM channel, um, we in the upstream, if it's 3.2 megahertz oh. wide or 6.4 megahertz wide, we only have 24 digital tap values that we can sample that information from. So your resolution is limited. When we go up to, to OFDMA and the return, we get... Uh, subcarrier spacing at either 25 kilohertz or 50 kilohertz. So this is kind of like doing a sweep and return using uh, putting a sweep point every 25 kilohertz or every 50 kilohertz. So it gives us a lot more visibility when we move to OFDMA and return from a, a sweep standpoint. Yeah, yeah. very good. Yep. So uh, with that said, um, the the fourth idea was what if I, and I think I like this idea, what if I already had a, the CMTS set up and my handheld unit had a built-in cable modem and it was a DOCSIS 3.0, 85 megahertz, eight-channel capable upstream bonded modem. If I go to the RPD and say, here's my reference level, it, it's hitting the RPD at zero, uh, I go into a 23 dB tap and my modems are transmitting um, in my internal, it's 30, like you said, 35, 35, 35, whatever it is, whatever that unity, unity gain point is, it might be 35, whatever. If I go to another 23 dB tap off the next amplifier, if I'm a customer on a 23 dB tap, regardless of node or amplifier, I want to be transmitting the same thing. Mm-hmm. That is my goal. Regardless of where I am in the plant, if it's the same value tap, the customer should be transmitting the same thing. Right. That is the goal. So when I go to the next amplifier down the line and I plug in my cable modem and it says um, 30, 29, 28, 27, 26, I put in an equalizer to bring it up flat and then I put in a pad to make it 35, 35, 35, 35. Mm-hmm. I, in essence, used the cable modem levels to balance with pad and EQ. And then I can also look at those channels for a relative sweep type of trace because I'm using up all the spectrum anyway. 
Or like you said, I use the PM information to grab the pre-EQ of all the channels. I stitch them all together and I have a sweep trace. Yes. And, and a lot of operators, because we have so little bandwidth in the return, we're stuffing them all full. They, they're putting their, their upstream channels smashed together. They're not really leaving any space. So when you look, you're saying stitching those, that PM data, just so everyone understands, PM data in the upstream, we look at every cable modem and it creates a signature. That signature for it is called the in-channel frequency response, and it looks like a line, a squiggly line. That squiggly line is telling you of, of any imperfections in your cable plant the same way that you would see a line from a sweep response. So as John said, we're stitching each line from every cable modem together, and it gives you pretty much exactly that same line that you would get from when if you were to run a sweep through the return except we're not relying on data points or sweep carriers spaced every 6 megahertz apart or 3 megahertz apart that you would previously would have had put between your cable modem your upstream cable modem channels we're getting lines from many data points on those cable modems so it's it's a very clean line that you get I agree so and I've had that before where you know we were looking at pre EQ information with PNM and all that on a per channel basis and I talked to Larry Walcott years ago. I'm like, you know, now that we're going to four-channel upstream bonding, we have the capability to look at four channels and more spectrum visibility. But we need to stitch those together because what if the standing wave reflection is so close that the half-wavelength relationship standing wave is per channel, meaning 6.4 megahertz apart? You'd have one channel up, one channel down, one channel up, one channel down. So within the channel, you don't really notice a standing wave because within the channel, it just looks like it's just low power. Right. So we, I need to look at all of it. I've had cases before where someone balanced the plant based on wrong, cosmetically wrong levels because they didn't realize the test point they were using was bidirectional. So signal was going downstream, come back, reflecting at an in and out of phase. So it's always good to have visibility of a sweep, right? Of your whole entire spectrum. Right. So, so this was, that was my fourth, my fourth idea. And, and then I, I mentioned the PNM, but the next slide actually goes through that example of that fourth option. Yes. Yeah, so you, you, know, you got the, like 10 minutes before the top of the hour. So what do you want to cover left on your slides, John, to wrap this up? Next slide, I think is it. All I right. Think, let's uh, get that slide up. And we've got a great question in the chat room. I want actually, to cover two more slides, right? So okay. this was a slide that just basically says, all right, I have my CMTS. It's uh, digital now. So I have a digital physical interface card. We call it DPIC. It's running digital fiber to my RPD and remote fi device. Uh, I'm going to use my cable modem that's built into my handheld unit. Go to the node, look what the modem's transmit levels are, go to the first active past it, go off the same value tap. I hope it's a tapped type of input uh, or output. Um, and then I'm going to look at those levels like we mentioned to, to balance with the pad and EQ to get those transmit levels exactly where I expect them to be. And if, and if that tap was a 23 tap, but at the node is a 20 dB test point, I would just offset by 3 dB. You know, it's all relative, right? And some test equipment has test point, uh, what do they call it? Test point 
conversion or, or compensation? Compens- yeah, in the equipment yeah, themselves. Yeah, so if you have yeah, a 20 yeah. dB test point, it's automatically doing the math for you to compensate for that Perfect. 20 dB offset. So you don't, so you don't go the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> added 20 instead of subtracted 20. Up or down. <laughs> up or down. <laughs> all right. So, and that's what I, I talk about here. All right. Um, yeah. All right. So, uh, final slide? Really, yeah. yeah, this is the final. Uh, the wrap it up, John. Track. Yep. <laughs> bring it home. I'm going to bring it home. Legacy path track and other, you know, return path monitoring equipment's not going to work unless it supports NDF, NDR, uh, which most vendors do now. Who do we have for vendors now? We have Viavi. Really? Yeah, there's uh, VX, Viavi. They're all going with Vs. And, yeah. and uh, <laughs> uh, a Bernie Caduce company that's, uh, I don't know. I know the name, but it's escaping right now. So yeah, I mean, there's really the, there's a lot of consolidation divisor, a lot of consolidation that's happened out there, and then yeah. and then uh, you know, nimble this P and M company that's <laughs> filling in the voids. So <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice self plug. <laughs> it's my, my channel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's my, <laughs> like we said, everybody's getting what they pay for. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Go fund me. <laughs> So, so the second bullet point was full bandwidth capture, which I know you're well, yeah, well into. Very, very well. powerful. You know, ironically, PNM started out with pre-EQ, but PNM is the full gambit, yeah. right? It covers everything now. Everything. So full bandwidth capture is great. And when they came out with the idea of an upstream uh, spectrum analysis at the modem, I'm thinking, what good does that do me? But then I was like, if I have noise in my head end, and I can periodically pull all the cable modems that are feeding that noise funneling view in the head end. I could look at all the houses and see which house might resemble my head end noise. Yep. Because it might be one house. It could be exactly. one house. So, so I have to set up a polling type of you know uh, scenario or schedule, right? To go through each one and 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 grab that upstream information. And I know. Some of the modems don't have truly an upstream spectrum capture, mm-hmm. but the upstream noise can backfeed across the internal diplex of the modem and show up on the full bandwidth capture that you usually use for downstream. Correct. Yeah, and, and only a subset of modems, uh, DOCSIS 3.0 modems, do that. We're hoping that that gets into all DOCSIS 3.1 modems where you can capture... Uh, so full band capture, for anyone who doesn't know, lets you see all the RF signals, all the downstream RF signals going into subscribers' houses. But now the vendors are getting even smarter. The cable modem vendors are smarter, chipset vendors, where you can see those return the upstream signals in subscribers' houses. So we can see that noise. It's super cool, super powerful. I don't want to think about it. It would be really all the noise that's, say, from the tap spigot yep. into the modem. Correct. Because there's nothing to impede any noise if it's upstream, it's not like it's just going back to the head end. It's there, right? It's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. <laughs> so it's everywhere that can't be blocked. So the diplex filter would normally block it. But if it goes on the upstream side of the diplex filter and we have a capture point there, we can see it. We yep. could grab it. Um, yeah, I mean, if it's if it's in the house at your set-top box, it might not be able to be seen on the cable modem because of port-to-port isolation of your directional coupler. Or whatever you're using. Yep. But you, you get the idea. You could draw it out. You could figure out this spectrum analyzer in the modem could capture any noise here, 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 here. And you could draw it out and figure it out, you know? Yep. We could make some assumptions and we could actually help us. Any visibility like this is great. Yes. Yes. 
So, all right, John, anything else you want to cover on that final slide? So there's, there's one uh, question in the chat room I want to get to. So, the, Well, I mentioned about the 12 g dynamic range window of the modems themselves. Uh, there are some Band-Aids I can put on the CMTS to allow modems to stay online. Uh, I even thought about this. If I don't have that flexible solution taps or the inline equalizer and I start doing 204 megahertz and the modem transmit levels are like this much tilt, 12 dB of tilt between the transmit levels of all the channels, OFDMA, single carrier QAM, what could I do? Well, at the CMTS, you could take the lower frequencies and set them for plus three. Mm -hmm. So now... The modem transmit levels don't have 12 dB of tilt. They have plus 3, 3 dB higher here, so that's 9 dB of tilt from one end to the, in the spectrum of that modem. Right. So I've just created myself a little Band-Aid so that the modem can register properly, grab the right bonding group, uh, MERs are good. Obviously, this is at the expense of modem maxing out and transmit power. But if you're going to 204 megahertz, 3.1 modems have more power to begin with. So maybe you have some more headroom anyway. Yeah, you're not going to have any DOCSIS 3.0 modems going to 204 megahertz. It's only oh, going no. to be the DOCSIS 3.1 <laughs> modems. Yeah, I would even I would even argue that uh, I would rather people stop ATDMA at 42 megahertz. Yes. Don't mess with all of the headaches that come when you start doing five channels uh, above 42. You have to deal with all the the filters out in the field, not just the modem filters, house filters. I was going to say the biggest thing that I've seen above 80 above 42 megahertz. That's an issue are house amplifiers. Those house amplifiers typically have, or they're old, they only have a 42 megahertz diplex filter in them. And so you have a lot of issues with modems going to partial mode when you're trying to go ATDMA above 42 megahertz. Correct. Yeah. Right. I would rather see people um, eliminate <laughs> some of the ATDMA, start dropping it down, and start really introducing OFDMA and just make it yeah. bigger and bigger and bigger. Above you know, 42 megahertz. Exactly. Right. exactly. Completely right. Keep it simple, stupid. Yep. <laughs> the keep it simple solution. The KISS principle. Yeah. So That's all I got. All right. Hey, listen, if you have to drop, I totally understand. I know you have a meeting coming up. We had a really good question come in from Paul Nolan when we were talking about the in-channel frequency response and uh, stitching all those channels together for a, a sweep return sweep response. He talked about MTR, and if the MTR is really bad, I think Paul might have meant MTC, main tap compression. So what happens with a cable modem pre-equalizer when there's a lot of impairments? Uh, there's something called the main tap, which is tap number eight. If that starts to get compressed, we say the, that main tap compression or MTC value goes high. And what that indicates is the modem's getting really stressed. When we see those the uh, a lot of those impairments are coming from inside the subscriber's house. There's bad wiring, loose connectors, etc. So that's a high MTC value, and what that cause causes is for that particular subscriber's house. We know there's in-home wiring issues. Their in-channel frequencies response goes crazy. We'll see just really bad uh, signature for that, and so you really can't. You have to exclude that subscriber's modem from your your basically your sweep process because it'll make you think your plant is bad when it's really that single subscriber that has just bad in-home wiring. So when we're using this, we can, we can look at each individual home and say we have to exclude some of these homes from that using in-channel frequency response for the sweep, and we can do that intelligently because we can 
look at all the modems in a plant, and we can say, we know these specific pro- pro- modems have in-home issues, and we know these other modems have outside plant issues. That's an easy algorithm to do. We've been doing that for years and years in Nimble This. So to Paul's point, good good point, Paul. Um, you, have to, you have to be intelligent about the modems that you use for using those for return sweep. So, What about this? I remember back in the day we talked about how impulse noise could really screw up pre-equalization. Yes, yes. And, and I, I made a case for, never really went anywhere, but I said, should, is it in our best interest not to turn on pre-EQ on any ATMA below 15 megahertz? Yep. Knowing it's very um, susceptible to impulse noise below 15 megahertz, is pre-EQ helping or hurting? And as I, I came to the conclusion, it's better to have it than not have it. Yeah, yeah, it's way better. And we do see times where impulse noise causes issues, but uh, there's smart things that you can do when that happens to make sure that the impulse noise isn't actually impacting your in-channel frequency response, but also identifying that we know that's impulse noise. That impulse noise can actually be used to your benefit with some things we do called the intermittent modem report where we can identify homes that are actually leaking impulse noise or leaking noise into the return, then we can identify those homes and say, here's your hit list of homes that we know are leaking noise, same way we're talking about with full band capture, to see that noise as well. So that can actually be a benefit to us, not to the operator, but (laughs) from the standpoint that we can identify those homes that are leaking the noise. And I also look at uh, a show cable hop command on the CMTS and and, and per modem, show cable modem, address and stuff. But if you see a lot of uncorrectable FEC with not much correctable, it's probably impulse noise. Yes. Yeah, um, yes. And, and because the CMTS is scheduling time on the upstream, when I get a bad packet on the upstream, normally you can't look at layer two, so you don't know the Ethernet address, you don't know the MAC address, but you do know the time it was scheduled. So the CMTS can say, oh, that modem was scheduled for this time, and that packet is dropped. Right. So I can do per modem counters pretty accurately, at least on the upstream. Downstream, you have drop packets. Everybody that's that gets a bad packet from a common source of ingress, they all get a bad packet. They don't know who it was destined for. Yes. So uncorrectable packet on the downstream, maybe you just track the counters and you follow it back to a common point, and that could help you. Just just one caveat to that is we can look at uncorrectables for DOCSIS 3.0, for SC QAM channels. Uncorrectables don't help us much for OFDM and OFDMA because we're, we're almost always going to have uncorrectables. No, cor- with, no correctable, correctable. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you're right, correctables <laughs> for LDPC. <laughs> so we're always going to have us correctables in an LDPC world. Yeah, we, we noticed you could have 100% correctable FEC on downstream, and we started doing some new testing on upstream, and it doesn't seem to be quite as bad as downstream because how it averages over 400 kilohertz and not every subcarrier. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could still have 70, 80 percent correctable FEC, and there's no problems at all. Right. You know. So yeah, the, the case, the moral of the story is don't track correctable FEC for DOCSIS 3.1. Yeah. So, all right, John, you're gonna be late for your next meeting. I know. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for your time. It's a good episode. Uh, again, we try every month to bring... We've got two episodes in this month, so this is great. Um, so please, if you like the episode, thanks for staying around, everyone, for the whole time. Please do subscribe. Hit the little bell if you want notifications for our next episode. 
And also, if you catch us on our podcast, subscribe to that. Thanks, everyone. So long. Thank you, John, for the great information. And we'll catch you next month, May 22nd at 2 p.m. is our next episode. So long, everyone. All right. Thank you.